Los Angeles, 1965, the Watts riots. Chicago, 1968, MLK assassination riots. Los Angeles, 1992, Rodney King riots. Missouri, 2014, Ferguson riots. Minneapolis, 2020, George Floyd riots. Do you think it's different this time? I mean, it's kind of hard to see how stuff could go back just back to normal after this, but at the same time, I don't know. I just, I hope it doesn't. Today is June 19th, 2020. 155 years ago today, in Galveston, Texas, the last enslaved black people in the United States were freed. Today is June 19th, 2020. 22 days ago in Minneapolis, George Floyd died. Cities in the United States and around the world heaved in protest for weeks. This time, the world changed. A bit. I am Madian Andrade, and from the University of Toronto, this is the new normal. Lily is my 17-year-old daughter. Her interest in equity has been growing from the time she was a young girl. For her final grade 12 English project, she did a TED Talk on lateral violence. People are trying to make it seem like it's dying down, but like the protests are still going on, stuff like that. And there was another shooting. Seven days ago, Rayshard Brooks, a black man, was shot twice in the back as he ran away from police officers in Atlanta. If the change is coming, it will be slow. We can't rest on the status quo. We can't return to the status quo that, you know, the new normal can't be a return to whatever we had before. This is Julius Hogg. He's a professor of sociology at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. He studies the impact of policing on black communities. The tolls of criminalization and aggressive policing are borne out in our healthcare system, in our education system, in our social welfare system. And they're, they're across communities, across families, across generations in ways that I think is not necessarily in people's view when they think about these issues. You know, a lot of the calls right now to abolish the police or defund the police, they may seem like extreme positions, but if we financially prioritize the structures that are meant to improve the life outcomes of people, to improve their well-being, to improve their access to education, employment, to improve graduation rates, and not just, you know, minor employment, but meaningful employment, career type employment, to improve their civic engagement and participation, you know, we would have less need for the police in the long term. Minneapolis was the first of several cities that voted to restructure its police force. Institutions and governments acknowledged that systematic racism and anti-Black racism were woven throughout their structures and would have to be rooted out. The world changed a bit. A lot of institutions are like, well, what do we do now? We need to think of ideas. Please pause. This is Anya Norum. She is a doctor and a professor at the Dalla Lana School of Public Health and the Faculty of Medicine 
at the University of Toronto. Our communities have had like centuries of oppression and particularly in the last few decades, like several reports, I don't even know how many, so I can't say the number of solutions that have been ignored. So let us go back to the reports and then see which of the many solutions that have been ignored need to be implemented. Um, Because I think this idea that um, institutions need to to solve this problem by creating the solutions um, is actually insulting. She uses her expertise to educate on the effects of racism on health. You know, as a physician, I, I also get this question around, um, oh, but, you know, is it the time to protest because, you know, there's a pandemic? And I, <laughs> it baffles me. Like, if not now, then when? Particularly in a context where, you know, communities have been advocating for change for decades. If not now, with the whole world watching, then when? It does feel like we might actually be in an important moment of change. And it feels like we are writing history. A hundred years ago, as a Black woman, my circumstance would be quite different. And so if we do the right work that we need to do now, then for a little Black girl who was born a hundred years from now, she will not know what I have lived and experienced. And when we look back and our grandchildren and everyone asks us what we did, it really is a question of, were you on the side of justice? Where do we reach as we search for wisdom to help us shape society into something more just? How do we move to a new normal? It has to rest on their shoulders. The young people who see it so clearly. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Can you hey, hear me? Yeah, I can. How are Excellent. you doing, Professor? Long time no see you. <laughs> yeah, you can call me maybe, yeah. <laughs> this is Dorian Gray. He graduated from the University of Toronto Scarborough in 2019. Yeah, so I graduated last year, and then I figured I'd... With a major in human biology... Now a minor in theater and performance studies and in psychology. You know, you're the ones who can actually imagine something different, I hope. (laughs) No, no, for sure. I think a lot of young people we've been, I mean, I've been discussing a lot with my friends on, on, on ways that we think that we can see real and and true change in society. Um, You know, this events like this have happened before, unfortunately, in, in the past. And people look back on those and and they say, okay, this was how many years ago? And yet it happened again and again and again and again. So clearly whatever ideas that were put forth in the past to, to invoke change haven't been effective or they just take longer than, than we can afford right now. He was also a mentor for black high school students throughout that time as part of the Imani academic mentorship program. One of the big struggles that we have in Imani is we go into schools and, and they, they tell us, especially towards some of the middle schools, they, they say, uh, we don't really want you to come in the program that's only for black students. We want all the students to be part of it. If, if, if we just say black students only, then it, it's, it's um, discriminatory to all the other uh, race groups that, that need that help. And for us, it's like, yeah, of course, we, we want to support everybody in, in the way that we can, but ultimately, 
the research shows it and the truth shows that black students are the ones more than any racialized group that are the most underrepresented in, in post-secondary education. And that's, that's the issue that we have to attack. You know, <laughs> we, we can't do, do it all. So we have to do it to help the people that need it the most. This is one of the challenges, I think, in, in, a, in a society in which people are afraid to mention race uh, for fear of being thought of as racist. I think that's one of the things that's really been blown open here is uh, what I'm seeing is from black and white colleagues alike, uh, professional societies, for example, in my field are coming out with statements of support. And some of them do not say the word black. Some of them just say racism as a broad thing. Some don't even say racism. Some just say diversity. Oh, and wow. people are calling it out. My white colleagues are saying it's not actually helpful to talk about this unless you talk about anti-black racism, because that is actually what we're talking about. And that doesn't mean there aren't other forms of racism, right? My 12-year-old my explained it to me. He said, like, if our house was burning down and the firefighters came and put water on the houses next door or the one down the street, you might start to say, what are you doing? They'll say, well, those ones might catch fire, too. So we're going to start with them. Right? <laughs> no, no that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. It's like... Yeah, not everyone's house is burning right now. Our house right. is burning. Help, help us first. So when you did your, your TED Talk for school, the end of it is basically calling out people who, who say that black people are being aggressive to each other and so clearly they don't care about each other's lives. Why yeah. should we care about their lives? If you get offended by me saying that, then good. And I was saying it to you. So the next time you find yourself looking at pictures of burning police cars and thinking to yourself about how people should be protesting more peacefully, I want you to stop and think. If you grew up in a neighborhood that lacked adequate housing, healthcare, and education, if you grew up seeing your father and your brothers and your uncles being harassed and incarcerated by people who were supposed to be protecting you... After Lily submitted her topic statement, her teacher wrote to her. She said, You and your TED Talk have been on my mind daily. I can imagine that you have been reeling the last few weeks. Right now, your teachers are working on an anti-black racism statement, and we're working together to word it so it's not just good intentions, but we will follow those intentions with action. The number one thing we are committing to is to listen to our racialized students parents and colleagues, in particular those that identify as black and indigenous. I want you to know that your voice has been heard this year, Lily. I've read your work and heard you talk about slavery, intersectionality, intergenerational trauma, discrimination, racism, and oppression as causes of lateral violence. Your voice has stood out for its knowledge strength, and clarity of vision. I want you to know that you've been heard. I am Madian Andrade. This is the new normal.